I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. With me today, Jonathan Turley. Thank you, sir, for being here. And good day. Thank you. George Washington School of Law, a friend of Fox News, an amazing mind, by the way. You have a way of taking complicated stuff and making it understandable. That's a talent. (laughs) Thank you for that. I appreciate it. I don't know why you're a Chicago Bears fan, but we shall discuss that on another time. (laughs) (laughs) It's because I'm morally perfect when it comes to football. I see. Well, I'm a Cincinnati Bengal fan. What does that make me? (laughs) That will take an entire show. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes, it would. Uh, Listen, on Super Bowl weekend, I thought I'd mention that. See how the big game comes out. To our listeners, just so they're aware, we are recording this on Thursday afternoon. So things could change between now and over the weekend. Let's see how that goes. But I pulled a piece that you wrote on the 17th of January. You said a lot in here, but here's one key line. A trial with an empty defense table would magnify the view of many that this is an improper or at a minimum unnecessary exercise. So you're recommending to the Trump team, don't show up. Is that right? I am indeed. Uh, Their best possible defense would be no defense. That's what happened in the first attempt at a retroactive trial. There's only been two. One involved the former senator from Tennessee, William Blunt. The other one involved later the former secretary of war, William Belknap. What's interesting about Blunt is that when he was brought before the Senate, many of the Constitution signers were still alive. Many were in Congress, including Blunt himself, who was a signer of the Constitution. And Blunt refused to appear and said that the entire trial of a former official was flagrantly unconstitutional. The Senate went ahead and dismissed the case. In the second attempt, it barely survived that threshold vote. Almost half of the Senate wanted to dismiss that case just as they did the Blunt case. But it fell short of 50%, but not surprisingly, they then easily acquitted him. So the record itself is quite limited. There are good faith arguments on both sides, but for Trump, I think the best defense would be not to show up and the contestability of the trial. Mm. His lawyers, David Schoen and Bruce Castor, at the moment, I believe they will be there on Tuesday. Do you have reason to think otherwise? No, I don't. Uh, This is really a question for the Senate as an institution, as opposed to uh, the Trump team. There are not just constitutional, but prudential questions. Putting aside the question of the Constitution, which 45 senators indicated that they likely share that view. But there's also a prudential problem. This is the first snap impeachment in history. This arrived at the Senate with literally no record of a hearing, an investigation, even an opportunity for the president to respond. That has never happened. It breaks from tradition. While a record isn't required, there's always been some record I have talked to senators who are not comfortable in legitimating that type of process. Hmm. Democrats? I've actually talked to one Democrat who who had the same misgivings, but I'm not too sure that will be the deciding factor. But the question for the senators is whether 
they want to effectively create this precedent. You know, the position of the House is that the president can be removed at any time, two hours, two days, two years, 20 years after he leaves office. Uh, If that's the case, why wouldn't they have created a record since it was clear he would not be tried while he was in office? I wrote a column to that effect and noted that weeks have gone by, weeks, and the House has not tried to put any witness relevant to the question of Trump's intent under oath. You know, there are two houses of Congress. They control one of them. They could have been calling, I listed, referred to 10 witnesses who are clearly willing to testify because they've spoken publicly. Not one of them has been called before the House to lock in that testimony, to make it part of the public record. Let's answer your question. Why haven't they? Well, I don't know. One, One answer may be that, you know, lawyers don't ask questions they don't know answers to. The record on Trump's intent is actually mixed, much like the his speech itself. Many of us criticized his speech. I criticized his speech when he was giving it. And many of us criticized his slow response. But what has trickled out really plays to both sides. You know, for example, the the assistant secretary, I'm sorry, the acting secretary of defense said that Trump told him that you should get to have 10,000 troops ready because you're going to need it. This was before the speech. Well, that cuts both ways. That indicates that Trump is saying, you better be prepared. It also does not show that Trump gave an order to be prepared. There's a lot of those questions that aren't answered. The question is, why wouldn't the House want to answer them? Much of this material and information is in the possession or available to the House. Hmm. Let's talk about what we think we know. House managers have filed a brief. It's 80 pages long. The president's response is 14 pages long. Start with the managers of the House. What did you learn from that? Well, the most glaring aspect of the House manager's brief is the lack of interest in proving intent. You know, the the House may be the victim of its own excess, You know, it decided not to hold a hearing where we could have looked at the language of the article and possibly written an article that could garner broader support. Instead, they muscled through an article that they wanted to say incitement to insurrection. Well, that's the deepest hole you can possibly dig to fill at a trial. And the key there will be intent. Did Trump really intend an actual insurrection, an actual rebellion? Now, you would think that they would be loading up to try to prove that intent because you cannot convict him without that intent. Well, instead, the brief really sounds like they're trying to impeach him for negligence, right? They, they talk about how people interpreted his rules, his words, as opposed to how they were intended. But that's not the question in the article of impeachment. They wrote the article to say that he was intending to actually cause a rebellion, to actually cause an insurrection. And yet this brief uh, says very little about it. In fact, it barely mentions Trump's countervailing statements where he said, go and do this peacefully. And when they get to his 2.30 or so tweet where he says, obey law enforcement, support law and order, and eventually he said, go home, um, they just basically sort of shrug that off as, well, he really didn't mean it. Well, you can't have a conviction where you just invite everyone 
to speculate on meaning when there are there's witnesses who could have been called over the last few weeks that could shed light on that meaning. Uh, very interesting. I think the line was from that day something similar to now we're going to walk to the Capitol peacefully and patriotically. Uh, I imagine that will come up a lot. Yeah. And what will also come up is similar language being used by the Democrats. It's very common for people to march on state and federal capitals to protest what's going on inside. Uh, There's nothing that's an insurrection about that. And so the question is going to be, how do you prove that he was actually trying to incite a rebellion when he's telling them to do this peacefully? There also will play back the words of Democratic members who have used similar language, reckless language, frankly, uh, through the years. Some of them refuse to acknowledge the legitimacy of Trump's election in 2016 and use this type of language when there were violent riots going on in Washington, D.C. So if you're going to create this type of vicarious liability, you better be awfully careful. Mm. The House managers are expected to also pull a number of videos. Maybe you saw them online. Maybe they were shot by some of the, uh, the, the protesters and rioters themselves. I imagine, Jonathan, that will likely be the most powerful part of the entire week. Would you agree? Yes. I think the House is developing an emotionally strong case, but it's disconnected from the elements to prove They don't seem to be trying to win the trial. They seem to be trying to stage this trial to have its biggest motive impact. Having all those people saying, well, I thought I was invited. I was doing what Trump told me to do, simply refers to how his words were received, not how they were intended. And they don't seem to be making any serious effort to answer the question of intent, which is absolutely necessary to, in my view, ethically improperly. Okay, okay. So, so then do, do you believe now, or have you concluded that this trial is not suggesting that they want to put President Trump on trial, but rather the people who support him? And maybe that's the basket of deplorables and the 74 million people who voted for him. Is that part of the intent? Well, I think they're going to paint rather broadly with this brush. They clearly want to try the president and the president is not without I um, sin in this. I mean, I, I was critical of the speech, but it was being given. It was a reckless speech. And he should have responded faster. He should have been stronger. That's the reason I supported a resolution for censure. But the Democrats from the outset have not been trying to build a broad, bipartisan, bicameral position. If they, if they did, they wouldn't have pushed through an article that says the president intended to cause an actual rebellion. So move to the president's response now in the 14-page brief that they filed. What did you find in that? Well, you know, the brief was actually very similar to what many of us file as criminal defense attorneys uh, in just simply denying facts. It's clear that they will emphasize their strongest argument, which is that this is not constitutionally valid as a proceeding. They will also argue that this would be considered protected speech if it were in an actual court of law. I agree with those being the strongest uh, cases. I actually think that despite all the experts saying this would be an open and shut case for criminal incitement, 
Uh, I, I got to tell you, I don't believe that for a second. I've been a criminal defense attorney for 30 years. I think this case would collapse in federal court. I don't see how you can make that speech with those countervailing statements and convict anyone on it unless you have some other evidence. And they're not trying to get that evidence. Mm. Now, what I am concerned about on that side are reports that the earlier lawyers left because President Trump wants to argue electoral fraud. That would be a serious mistake. And it would snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. Because right now, they don't have close to the number of votes to convict. The president has virtually assured acquittal. But if he starts to argue electoral fraud, all bets are off. Hmm. Um, Come back to a point you made a few moments ago. Is the president's team also preparing videos that would take us back a few years and to call out what they would consider democratic hypocrisy directed toward Trump? I think it's inevitable that they're going to show that. Why wouldn't Uh. they? Uh, because, you know, some of the people who are sitting as jurors have used this type of language. And, you know, look, it's not an easy jury. I argued in front of the 100 senators the last judicial impeachment. And this is the worst jury in the world. You'd strike all of them for cause in a real trial. I, but they are a curious jury. But this is part of that problem. They're trying to, to remove a president based on reckless political speech. And that is something that many members of that body may find comes uncomfortably close to past statements. Yeah, I think we're going to hear from you and a lot of others next week. And if, but by the way, does it last a week? Does it go longer than that? I heard Lindsey Graham suggest it might go only three or four days. What do you think? It's entirely up to the Senate. The Democrats obviously control. Uh, but, um, you know, normally this would would go at least a week or so. But the problem is that you have 45 senators have already indicated that they either believe or they, they strongly feel that this entire trial is constitutionally invalid. Hmm. And so you're starting with a threshold vote that makes the outcome seem inevitable. That's even without considering those prudential questions. So unless the Trump team makes a serious mistake, he could be acquitted at almost the same margin or close to it of his first trial. And then the Democrats have to wonder how that's going to play. I don't think that, I don't think this trial is going to change many minds. Uh, That's the problem. I think the way this is shaping up is this going to be a raw reflection of our age of rage. And both sides are going to play to their base. Let me come back to that. You're listening to Jonathan Turley, and this is Hammer Time. Back on Hammer Time, Jonathan Turley, terrific input from you. And we'll see how this impeachment trial starts on Tuesday at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. You were talking about a few things a moment ago, and just a few more questions just to button this up. An impeachment process is a political exercise, correct? It is, but I always chafe when people say that because it's, it's, it is the last refuge of the impeachment scoundrel in some cases. Uh, you know, many people quote Gerald Ford's awful line that impeachment is anything that we say it is. Representative Waters has, loves to repeat that. Um, in my view, it's not true. People that want to ignore the constitutional standard go back to that old saw. The fact is that the framers believed that this was a type of hybrid 
process. They believed that there was a real standard here. It was not all politics. That's why they said that you have to first establish a high crime and misdemeanor. They spent a lot of time talking about its meaning. And so I'm always curious when people are trying to diffuse arguments or ignore constitutional arguments or evidentiary arguments, they pull out this old saw that, oh, it's anything we say it is, it's all political. It's not all political. This is a constitutional process. Just because it's carried out by political figures doesn't mean that what they're doing is raw politics. They're carrying out a constitutional function for which they took an oath. Final question. And again, thank you for your time. Much appreciated. And I think we'll have a lot of conversations in the coming week on the Fox News channel. If you're all right about everything you just laid out for us over the past 15, 20 minutes, that this is an acquittal, um, and I don't know if they're going to go for a censure or not. There's some indications this week that that will not even be considered. So um, what, what do you come up with? If it's true that you come up with a goose egg in the end, what happens to President Trump? What does he do? What's the effect? What's the impact of his legacy, do you believe now? Well, the funny thing is that the Democrats have to be careful what they hope for. Various members have said that they want to disqualify the president under impeachment or alternatively under the 14th Amendment. I think both of those could be challenged if they were ever succeeded. Challenged by Donald Trump in federal court. And by the way, that appeal process would likely be finished just before the 2024 election. Could you imagine those optics for an anti-establishment candidate to show that he was wrongly disqualified? I don't think people have really thought out uh, the implications of this strategy. What I've told people who have said, oh, this is an open and shut case of criminal incitement, which I don't agree, then charge them. You know, the, the D.C. attorney general you know, got all of this press saying, I'm going to investigate the president for criminal incitement. Well, charge him. You know, I, I don't think that the Trump attorneys are particularly concerned about that type of prosecution. Even in the unlikelihood that they would prevail at trial, I think it would collapse quickly on appeal. But that's, you know, people say, well, there's no other way to hold them accountable. You know there's another way. It's just you don't want to go that way. Because all these people that are saying that the president could be criminally prosecuted and convicted are not clamoring for a criminal charge. Why? Because if he were to defeat a criminal charge, it would be the ultimate vindication for him. So I think that we have to all be honest with each other. I don't believe that this is a strong case for prosecution. Not now. Now, maybe there will be evidence of true intent, but nobody seems eager to find it. Mm. Thanks for your conversation. Jonathan Turley, George Washington School of Law. We'll see you on the Fox News channel as well. And on this Super Bowl weekend, Bucks or Chiefs? Who do you got? Oh, I'm going Chiefs. Uh, I got to tell you, it, it, it's not going to be like the Bears are playing. Uh, so it's only going to be half the game. But, uh, okay. Uh, but, you know, um, as, since I'm talking to a Bengals fan, I know that you you certainly can identify with the concept of long suffering. That long, long suffering and 0-2 and ah. in Super Bowls. Thank, <laughs> thank you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Jonathan Turley, thank you. Thank you. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time.